0: All right, here we are in the Hot Stove Society on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas, and mine is Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. And chef, we're here at the beautiful hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, Fourth and Virginia, home of not only uh, the Hot Stove Society but of Lola Restaurant, which opened about eight weeks ago. Very exciting, rocking and rolling down there. It's uh, we're taping this on New Year's Eve, so we wish you all the best of a new year tomorrow when you're listening to it, unless you're That's watching
1: right. live on Facebook with with us right now. So. Yeah, definitely wishing you a wonderful, happy new year. Best of health. And... uh 2022 cannot be as worth as 2021 or 2020. Well, no, 2020. <laughs> oh, it can all goes out. We said that about 2020. I know, but, you know, I, we had to, We have to get out of this slump.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm supposed to go to Palm Springs on Sunday for three days of golf, but I, I think I have to cancel. <laughs> uh, it is Happy New Year time. We've got so much to talk about. Peak of the season mushrooms, both stuffed and dry roasted and, and umami creator or carrier. Uh, Some charming New Year's Day food traditions from around the world. Terry is going to make the perfect horse food, or as some people call it, granola. (laughs) Can't Uh, wait. Can't wait. (laughs) Building flavor without salt. Uh, I was talking to a class here the other night when I was doing my crab cake class about how you can use different spices and seasonings to create a burst of flavor rather than just always adding more salt. Correct. So I get so sick when I watch a cook taste everything, and the only thing he ever adds? Salt. Salt. Doesn't add more lemon juice. Doesn't add more cayenne don't or don't anything. Don't give all the secrets oh, okay. yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, pastry chef St- Stacey Fortner is going to visit to talk about winter citrus desserts, and I want to surprise her with a challenge of how to use chai. I think chai is such a cool... Interesting winter flavor. And, of course, every chai flavor has its own mix. She's going to be thrown off because that's not a citrus. I know it's not a citrus, but I think it goes really well. We had a chai citrus cheesecake the other night at Crab Cake. Class. It Wasn't was... it good?
2: There's one more in there I was thinking of eating right now. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy
0: d- is drinking chai tea all the time, and I, it makes the whole house I smell I just it went Fantastic. beautifully with citrus. I hadn't really thought about it. Uh, Tarte flambe uh, we talked about a week or two ago. And Chef Terry, I want you to teach me how to make it on the air.
1: Tarte you know, you know if I had enough time in my life, especially in the morning, I would just take your beat. Your, well, we'll talk about it a little okay. bit later. I'll right. give you the
0: secret. And lastly, of course, we're going to play Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Uh, I'm not sure who our, maybe Stacey Fortner today. Stacey we're gonna, Fortner. Yeah, we're going to take her down today and uh, just show her who's who when it comes to trivia. Um, let's jump right into our Taste of the Week. So as I mentioned earlier, I, I had my annual crab cake class last week where I get in crab from all over the country and make them into crab cakes for different, you know, using different size crabs and, you know, this and that. So I got in blue crab from the East Coast. I got in opilo and king crab from Alaska. Uh, and I've got, of course, Dungeness crab from here. So you and must the have Dungeness re- crab here right
1: now, I'm telling you, is eating good. I was at PCC yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> fifty nine ninety nine a pound for what? For king for the Dungeness for Dungeness, pick. For Dungeness the cooked, cooked
2: crab. Yeah, or yeah cooked. no, no, pick, picked,
0: pick. yeah, 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 for sure. It's been up that high for quite a while now. That's a wholesale to me is forty two dollars a pound. So. Right. Anyway, so what my taste of the week is reliving crab cakes, and I, I guess um, every year I tell a little bit of a story about when I first came to Seattle in 1977 from Delaware, uh, which is the Mid Atlantic, which is arguably you know it's about uh, 40 minutes north of the Chesapeake Bay. That whole area is you've got crab crab cake country. No, right. that's really where crab cakes kind of like started. Yeah, exactly. And so if you go down to the eastern shore during summertime or something, any of the big Phillips Crab House, any of those places, crab cakes are king, or big bushels of steamed blue crabs with Old Bay seasoning. So I like, when I'm doing my crab cake class, to kind of show all the different uh, crabs, when to buy them, how to buy them, size matters, because you pay double, triple, quadruple for the big legs of Dungeness than you do for the body meat, right? So. Uh, all those kind of things. If you if you have that big chunk of crab, the last thing you want to do is break it up and making it pasty by stirring it too much into yeah, your yeah, crab yeah, cake, for right? Sure. Yeah, so You
1: want to taste that crab meat. You want to taste it, but you want to see it, too. Yeah.
0: So uh, we talked all about that. And then uh, when I first came to Seattle, like I said, in 77, there wasn't a crab cake on a menu here. You walk through the Pike Place right, Market. There right. were mountains of crab. King, Dungeness, uh, Opilo, Snow Crab, you know, mountains, Bear Dye. And there wasn't one crab cake on the menu. And where I came from, it was on every menu. Right. I don't care if it was a cafeteria or the finest dining room in Philadelphia. So I put them on the menu and I got famous for crab cakes. I
1: remember when I first moved to Seattle that that's
0: what your fame was. That was one of, of my Sport. It was one of my fames. Yeah. The yeah. other one was my physicality.
1: Right. And yeah. your handsome face. Yes, no, handsome of course. Face. Of yeah. course. Anyway, so I made
0: these crab cakes, and I made the blue crab cakes like they do on the Eastern Shore, the original ones, where they just make a eggy mustardy mayo as, as a binder, and just the crab and that eggy mustard, And the eggy thing is what holds it together, and they right. broil them. They don't bake them,
1: oh. Put them under the broiler, and yeah,
0: they yeah, get yeah. brown and crunchy on the top. And it just was like reliving those memories by tasting all the different crabs that night and tasting them in different kinds of crab cakes. Super fun. It really brought me back to... One of the places where I began cooking right. uh, at the Hotel Dupont, making crab cakes every day in the brandy wine room at the Hotel Dupont, it was it was kind of fun to relive that. So that's my taste of the week: reliving crab cakes.
1: That is so cool. Well, I'm uh, I have a pot of uh, black eye peas and ham hock ah. waiting for me to go back home and eat today because mm-hmm. Kathy every year tries to make black eye pea and ham hock uh, stew. As a welcome to the new year, which is also in the south known as a sign of, you know, health and Mm -hmm. happiness and also wellness. So,
2: you know, I don't
1: know if it's going to bring anything, but I'll tell you one thing it's going to bring and a happy stomach for me. (laughs) Uh My (laughs) belly is going to be very happy when we're done because I love that stuff. Uh, I was just going to say, if you don't know how to make ham hog don't worry about it. You can go to PCC and buy them. Uh, you know, they sell them one ham hock frozen at a time. Mm-hmm. So you can buy one or two and try that at home. It's smoked already, which is really cool. And the black eyed peas are easy peas to cook. Just put a couple onion, couple cloves on the mm-hmm. onion, couple bay leaves. Cook the black eyed peas like that and then put in your ham hock as well in there.
0: Now, do you like your black eyed peas cooked enough that they start to break apart or just yes. – just- cooked. The answer is yes. Yeah, so you, they become stew-like.
1: Well, they're not totally broken like a puree, but just now start to break, so they're not crunchy. I don't like oh. my black-eyed peas crunchy. No, that's different than what I was saying, though. Right. Crunchy is al dente, and you and I both
0: hate al dente beans, yeah. dry beans, but there is a point where beans literally start to fall apart. Right. And I don't like going that far either on certain dishes. Like in cassoulet, yeah. you don't take it till they literally start falling apart, do you? No, you, just before. They still maintain their integrity as a bean.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And, and but it's they're still same, cooked all the way And through. it's the same with the black IP. I mean, I don't mean to say they're falling apart. So, But um, it's a great dish for the end of the year. And... and I'm tomorrow going to cook a duck. I have a picking duck, so I was going to pick your brain and see P-E-K-I-N.
0: Don't, don't be confused with P-E-K-I-N-G. Correct. Pekin duck or a Long Island duck. I was, was
1: going to pick your, your brain, Mr. Duck. Up Douglas. next,
0: uh, mushrooms. The best way to cook dry-roasted, air-fried, stove-top, or stuffed. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's time to talk shrooms and not, not the psychedelic style. I've never done shrooms, uh, n- mushrooms in that way. Again, I, I love mushrooms, but I, I've never had a psychedelic I didn't mushroom. once. It was very fun. I'm not going to ask Pam to reveal her <laughs> secrets on the air, but she is an old hippie from hanging out in the woods and stuff, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Chef, uh, we uh, we have lots of mushrooms out there. and. Yes. I think people are confused sometimes about what is a wild mushroom and what's a cultivated mushroom, right? So all the mushrooms you see, the buttons that you see are cultivated. But even now, if you look in a grocery store, the trumpet mushrooms, like the the shiitake mushrooms, uh, most everything in that category is cultivated at this point. And the only wild mushrooms really that we get in our restaurants are the matsutake, the morels, the chanterelle.
1: Um, what and else? In, in, this time, in this time of year, it's black food chanterelle. I mean, uh, yellow food chanterelle and and black chanterelle. Even in Chantrelle. the freezing cold, oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, well, because I don't believe you, chef. You, okay, right today, no, there is no right okay. now. You can't find a mushroom because there's two feet so of you on five dollars. But I mean, this time of year is usually what you find is uh, yellow food chanterelle, which is oh. during the winter, and black chanterelle. I know, didn't second. realize that, yeah. So, uh, But that's the only wild we have around here. So when you go to the store, like you just said, all those mushrooms are cultivated.
0: So let's talk, since I think right now dried mushrooms are really the way to go because they add an umami quality to things that you're making. They are available in most of the produce sections. You'll see a little area of dried, bagged mushrooms. How would you start using those? I mean, I know for me, for example... Uh, I'm happy to talk about my stuffing, my porcini stuffing that I make every year on Thanksgiving and Christmas time, and and using dried mushrooms. How do you so go I, about starting? Now you've at, you're at the market, you've picked the mushroom. Let's and let's so go with they, porcini because they're they're my favorite. So well, mine are morels for dry. Okay, let's go with morels.
1: I go for morels. You go for porcini. It's okay, okay, it's okay. We don't have to <laughs> have the same thing. I agree, it's chef. It's never. It's very rare we get on the same. I one, agree, so. chef. So I'll oh, take i take the morel, percent. and I would say that um, you know it's New Year's Eve. You know, in the next couple of days, you're going to be home. A nice little treat, which is very, uh, it's a treat because we don't often do it, but a little veal roast, you know, would be something of a special treat because uh-huh. I think most people don't eat veal very often or never eat veal. Uh, now, this is obviously capable of being substitute for chicken, but let's start with veal, a veal roast. And I would take my morels, being part of, that ro- part of the sauce. So I would take the morel, I would put them in water, so these There's,
0: are the dried morels. You take them out of the morels, bag. So
1: they're whole and they're in the bag. You mm-hmm. put them in a bowl of water, submerged. Hot water. Warm water. Not, not necessarily hot, but warm for sure. And then it basically reconstitute the mushroom in a soft way. But don't put too much water because you want to make sure that you can use that water as well. So in the pan after you take off your roast, your roast is in the pan. use all that stuff that's on the bottom of the pan. Throw in a, half a slice onion in there. Make sure you mix the whole thing. Make sure your onions get caramelized. Take all your broth, then you have your your, your liquid, then you the have... The mushroom liquid. Put that into your onion. Let can, it. Can I, can
0: I stop you right there? Sure. You have to strain it. You have to run it through cheesecloth. Oh, no, no, I will. I, I'm not done yet. No, I'm talking about the grit that you get from the dried mushroom.
1: Oh, yeah. No, you have to. Yeah, you yeah. have to. Basically, what you have to do... I, okay, good mention. What you do is when you have morel soaking, the first thing you do is you never empty the bowl, you take your hands and you remove gently all the morels out of the water. Then you filter that water because there will be sand. Morels are a sandbox. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very, they're easily full of sand. So, once you put them in there and you drain that through a coffee filter, very good point. Um, then you take that water and you put it over your onions. You keep cooking your onions that way. So, basically, you have a very nice onion stock base kind of kind of base. You strain that or you just you can keep it too because I know you yeah, would you, you throw you it You extract it. I would keep it. Well, you can do either one. Or yeah, you've extracted yeah. the flavor. You put your morels in there. You cook them nicely with that. But not, you're not trying to saute the moral. You're trying to cook them. Mm-hmm. And then you flambe with a bit of cognac, a good amount. Flambe the whole thing up so you're burning the alcohol. And then if you have a little bit of this is where if you have a little bit of vilstock like I do in my freezer, I have little nuggets, little demi glass, yeah. demi glass. Mm-hmm. You put one in there and you let it melt, and then cream. A little creme fraiche or crème, uh, heavy whipping cream mm. right on top of that, and you finish your sauce. So it's a cream a morel cognac mm. cream sauce. Very traditional. You throw that with your um, sliced roast veal. It's really delicious.
0: That is a delicious way to go. So I'm surprised you didn't chop your morels at all. You left them whole, huh? Well,
1: uh, depends on the size of your morel. If they're very, very big, if I mean, if they're big size, yes. But often when you buy dry... You have much smaller sizes, mm-hmm. so uh, that's why I didn't think of cutting them. But if they're too big, you can cut them in half. Um, you can also cut them in your plate. It's fine. It right. doesn't matter. But dried morel I think, to me, especially if they have a light smoke like they've been on a fresh burn field, they usually are the one that has the most pungent flavor to bring back. Um, I have found out that um, I've had uh, shiitakes and I bought at the store and then lightly smoked at the end of a, another smoking um, like I smoked some fish and uh-huh, whatever. Uh-huh. And then the, my, my smoker was pretty much down. And I put the, the shiitakes in there. And they picked up a little bit of that smokiness and then dry them. So the smokiness stays in there, which is interesting mm-hmm. when you dry. Mm-hmm. So when you reconstitute those with a light smoke, it's really delicious. It doesn't. And they great. already
0: have kind of that woodsy, yeah, yeah. The, the woodsy very quality woodsy. about them.
1: So adding the smoke to it is really giving them another personality. And that's a cheaper way to go than morel.
0: You know, I was at Costco and they have these big, kind of gallon-sized containers of dried mushrooms, and what what they really are are port, mostly portobellos. And people, because they have the name portobello, people always think that maybe they're a wild mushroom, and they're just an Heck overgrown no. cremini, basically. Exactly. And so uh, it is. It's a. i i love them. I love cooking them and reducing them down. But the dried uh, the dried mushrooms that I used from Costco were just. Too tough. I, I never could get them reconstituted.
1: Yeah. And what uh, kind of mushroom? Were they domestic mushrooms? Mostly
0: domestic. Uh, yeah. Wild, or domestic fresh dried. to me, dried. They,
1: besides the shiitakes, I don't think they... I mean, like, I wouldn't dry oysters because that does yeah. no... It's a beautiful flavor, fresh and on the moment, but it's definitely not a good frozen item.
0: And oysters, actually, oyster mushrooms really do reduce down to a caramelization nicely. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you want to go that route so them. instead of drying. Reduce them, right? Yeah. Take them in your pan, just like you would your onions, and yeah. just let them cook out until they're reduced, and they, all of a sudden
1: they have much more flavor. Yeah. It's much more about the texture for the oysters, yes.
2: What about um, lion's mane? I was reading about mm. that on the mushroom sites I was seeing, but um, I've always been afraid to buy them, but they said people are using discs of them as protein substitutes. Yeah.
1: Right. A steak of lion manes, if you, you cut straight through and you make about – uh, half an inch to three-quarter inch sautéed in brown butter, salt and pepper on both sides. That's it. It's really delicious. Same with the uh, puff, puff mushroom. Puff it's just bo- so hard to find those things. Bo- oh, no. They yeah. Well, actually, uh, there is a market on Mercer Island, a uh, farmer's market every Saturday, and there is a guy over there that somehow oh, seems to have men almost most of the time because they're homegrown. They're not, you know, this, those are the one that he has are... Um, Domestic. Oh, I
0: see. there. So it's a cultivated mushroom. Right. Yeah.
1: So uh, anyway, I want um, to try it. Lion's mane is a good. It's a good mushroom. Tasty, and it's basically anything with brown butter is easy to. be I know. I was <laughs> going to say
0: that's an easy out. There, it's just like a piece of cauliflower. It's you yeah, know, steak. Exactly. You know, same idea. So yeah, mushrooms. Uh, and then I would say don't forget, like we have the mushroom, exotic mushroom powder in our line of spice shrubs. A tablespoon of that in a big pot of gravy is like a gravy magician. It oh, yeah. brings out the umami character. It's got the dried porcini in it. Especially, and it's a powder. It just disappears into yeah. your gravy, right? If you, you don't have the know. Glass,
1: glass de viande or anything depth like that, just add that mushroom rub, man. It's like, it's like a little battery goes in there suddenly in your sauce. You just went up another notch. Um, I love
0: that. I use that probably as much as any of my rubs. When we come back, it's time for New Year's Around the World and... In Seattle. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Happy New Year's! It's New Year's Eve and New Year's Weekend here in the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. And Bonane. my name is Thierry Rochiro. We are joined by our producer, Pamela Hinckley, and Sean McFadden, our t- technical advisor. Uh, it's, uh, we've been celebrating all day, uh, the whole New Year's party scenario, even though we had to cancel a couple of ours this weekend. It was such a bummer, but, you know, it is what it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome 2022 so graciously. Please make it better than 20 and 2021. <laughs> So, Pamela, you uh, you looked around the Internet and called a few
0: friends and have a few memories of New Year's Eve. What did you do, and what do you do on New Year's Day to ring in the new year?
2: Well... We really enjoy banging pots and pans and marching around, sometimes at home, but the tradition started under the clock at the Pike Place Market for all the hippies that didn't want to go to the Space No. No, 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 Space needle wasn't <laughs> happening
0: at that point. You remember that? It was always the clock. When I first moved here, it was the clock in the market was the place to the go. The gathering spot. Yeah.
2: And make some noise and whoop it up a little.
0: And we used to literally bring out pots and pans from Cafe Sport and walk down the street to the clock and...
2: Make a noise. uh, Make a
0: noise. Cafe Sport is where Etta's is now. Right. Yeah, so uh, I remember that, and I still wish that that was happening. And I guess maybe... We could bring it back. We could just do it. We might get shot, but (laughs) we we could bring it back. (laughs) I'm sure, you know, we've been broken into three times in the last 10 days down at Seatown, and we've called the police, and we haven't gotten any any response. I'm sure that if we have a bunch of us going down with pot and pants at the clock, that we'll get shot. Oh, yeah. The police will come, and we'll get shot. (laughs) They're going to come. It's like at my house um, when we were singing uh, Neil Diamond's uh, Sweet Caroline out front, and (laughs) our our neighbors called the police because we were too loud, I guess, and five police cars showed up, and what's going on here? It's like we're singing – Sweet Caroline, for God's sake. You deserve
2: to get arrested for that, man.
0: Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, tell us some, uh, some of the traditions you found around the world, Pam.
2: Well, based on uh, the f- favorite foods for New Year's, I think I should move to Turkey because they're all about the pomegranates, and I love pomegranates at this time of year so much. Uh, they smash them on their doorways and to see how many seeds pop out. And the more seeds, the more abundance you'll have in the new year. And that one sounded like the most fun. And Second- also,
1: you probably will have traces of what you just did for quite some time. Because I know pomegranate juice stains, stains like nobody's business. So
2: like hell.
1: I mean, like if you put some into a, a granite stone or whatever, whatever stone you have on the front door or wood, that would definitely stain it right away. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Happy memories. Well, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, what's what c- could be worse? You know, it could be worse no, no, things. of course. Yeah. Of course. My favorite is Scotland. I go to yes, Scotland of quite <laughs> often. <laughs> I
2: We're knew. surprised by that one. Yeah. I knew it.
0: <laughs> My, I, I end up going a couple of times a year to Scotland. I am a, a part Scottish. And the New Year's celebration in, in Scotland is incomplete without, of course, Scotch whiskey. I know. <laughs> and <laughs> so, I have been so in. If you see it out there in the marketplace, the Lagavulin 11-year Scotch whiskey aged in sherry cask, super delicious. It's my new fave. Just like Avilon
1: Eleven, I have one at home.
0: Avilon Eleven, yeah, check it out. Really good, nice. It's it's like a different kind of smoke to it, you know. And then uh, another one of my favorite things is fruitcake. And so in Scotland they sip their Scotch whiskey, and they have a special spiced fruitcake for the New Year's. And I would, I could get behind that. The only problem was I, I think I'd have a little uh, heartburn.
1: Yes, that sugar, that
0: heavy fruitcake would give me some serious Plus heartburn. Plus,
1: the, the whiskey is probably... Oh, no, no, no. Your doctor would say, <laughs> you know what? Enough. If you don't have the whiskey, you probably won't have a heartburn. <laughs> the scotch won't take me down. The fruitcake might, but the scotch won't take me down. <laughs> well, I just think it's cool. I like the uh, El Salvador raw egg idea. That's a crazy. As a tradition, people in El Salvador... Crack an egg into a glass of water a minute before midnight. The, follow, the following morning, everyone, uh, everyone decides what their <laughs> yolk looks like. <laughs> so they read and the y- yolk like tea leaf or something? And the yeah, answer exactly. and the answer represents what the new you will bring in for them. Uh-huh. I'm doing like, that tonight. What, what is my on? egg yolk going to look like tomorrow morning in <laughs> floating in that glass of water? It's going to mm. be wrinkled like a prune is what it's yeah, going to look be like. Dried oh, out no. on, it's going to be like me, dried out on the outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have
2: to try that tonight and text each other our results in the morning. Okay. But what about Spain? I didn't know about that one, and that is very fun, eating a dozen grapes as the clock strikes midnight. Um, and if you don't manage to eat them all, it's bad luck. You eat one at a time as the clock is ticking down to 12 on the hour. and that's
0: I mean, awesome. who could not eat a dozen grapes? I know. Well, maybe
2: some small child. And, then and you're going <laughs> to wish bad luck to a small <laughs> child? Small that is child. so bad. <laughs> Or or Iran, Iran. That picture. I wish I had brought it to show you guys. They celebrate with a frittata that is just covered in greens, just like you like to finish off your salads Mm -hmm. with a ton of fresh herbs on top of fresh.
1: Kuku sabzi.
2: Yes, isn't that a beautiful name too? Beautiful. Yeah. Like the name, and I think I've never
0: had it. Have you ever had a version of it? No, no, no. I'm surprised that I haven't seen it somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's kind of well. You have to be around probably for New Year's Eve in
0: Italy. And Italy, uh, as they should in Eastern Washington, because Eastern Washington is kind of like our lentil capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Italy, they um, consume lentils in the form of coin-like disc, and it is believed that this brings in prosperity for the year ahead. It's also served with cotechino, which we make a really good cotechino at Serious Pie. Which is basically a pork sausage that's been steamed or cooked, right? Uh, and it's it's a little bit like a little bit like ham, like or spam, like in a funny way because you know spam is ham that's been True. minced and cooked and cotaquino. I mean, an Italian would right now they would just shoot me if they heard me compare cotechino <laughs> to spam. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I, I hope they're a good shot. Take me out with one.
1: Yeah, um, and then and then the Southern United States we have black-eyed peas, which you're doing yourselves, right? <laughs> no, Kathy's doing it. She does it every year. Black-eyed peas and uh, um, ham hock, smoked ham hock, and uh, greens. And we have greens. We have uh, collard greens. We don't have the cornbread yet, but maybe. I mean, that's an easy one to make. So yeah, you have to make the cornbread. Maybe we'll make cornbread. I don't know if we will or not. But let's go to collard greens for a second, because to me. They
0: got a bad rap years ago in this country as like a southern, maybe even a southern black uh, kind of food that somehow was you had to cook for five hours. And you had, to stu- bogus you had to stew them and they were strong, you know, strong, pungent, like a like a big cabbage or something like that. And I, in the last five years, have fallen in love with collard greens. Oh, I love collard greens. And if you find them at certain times of the year, especially in the spring, when we grow them in the spring at our farm, yep. they're so young and tender, you literally can sauté them in two or three minutes, just like you would spinach. Now, in the summertime, they get hot. Right. You know, they get spicy hot, and they get a little bit sour. But in the spring and in the fall, uh, well, they right are, now, or right. right now, yeah, they are a delicious. Absolutely. And they get creamy and custardy yeah. when you cook them.
1: And you don't have to cook them for hours. That is such a funny thing to think that you have to. You can, because they will resist, Uh but you don't have to. I mean, I, Julian mine, usually I use Julian mine, olive oil in a warm pan, put in the the, the, the collard in there, Mm -hmm. toss them around nicely, season, toss them around nicely, put a cover on it, and let it kind of like saute and braise at the same time in their own juice, in their own water.
0: I mean, well, we, when you do that, they do. They get, they get creamy. Oh, they like get creamy. Like you said, it's a lot of the, like a barbecue joint. You'll see the collard greens on the side. Right. And they cook them long enough that they get creamy. But you can also, you can cook them like it's, let's say you uh, chiffonade them.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. You can cook them in minutes. Of course, yeah. of course. You could just, but my point is if you cover the, the saute pan and you have them in, within a few minutes, they will be totally tender. It's like, I mean, it doesn't disappear like spinach, but it definitely you know, comes calms down and, and melts down and becomes very, very delicious.
0: Here's a problem I have sometimes with greens like that. You now you see it all the time with Brussels sprouts now, is that instead of them be, uh, being a reasonable vegetable, right? people want to make them more, right? They're not willing to let them just be. They want to add bacon or they want to add cracklings or they oh. want to deep fry the Brussels sprouts or they want to add some sort of ham hock to the collard greens. Main and is, that's all good as yeah. far as I'm concerned. But to me, if you're going to do that, Then I would make a pot of rice or a big pan of cornbread, have my ham, hot collard greens, and be done. Don't add a protein on top.
1: Right, right. Right? It's it's perfectly okay to make that
0: your entree.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, in my home, we use cabbage. You know the cabbage that's stocky and leaves? That's very common where I'm from. This is what uh, my state is known as being uh, cabbage cabbage belly. That's the the, the surname of my uh, state. We are Cabbage Belly. Mm-hmm. What and is your state? Vendée. V-E-N-D-E-E. Vendée. It's right below Loire-Atlantique and north of Charente. Of course it is.
2: <laughs> That's exactly where I was thinking. I, I knew
1: it was there. <laughs> Pam said it wasn't, but I knew it was right
0: there below what?
1: Of course. <laughs> anyway, uh, I love those cabbage. I mean, cabbage is like such a beautiful thing. We don't eat enough of them.
0: I would agree. I think cabbage is definitely off the radar for a lot of people as a vegetable. And uh, I fell in love with it again in my life uh, down at Saigon Over the Counter. She used to always have cabbage in her vegetable medley. And I think because it was cheap, but I really loved it with fish sauce right. and fresh dill. and. Yeah, that's the other pot,
1: by the way. It's not that expensive.
0: Okay, Terry, you're going to get to talk a lot in the next segment because we're going to take on horse food when we come back
1: we make our very own horse
0: food. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, it's time for us to talk a little bit about granola, or as I consider it, horse food, even though we make a delicious horse food granola at uh, Dahlia Bakery, which we sell here at Lola. Uh, I say it in jest, obviously. It's not horse food. But it started out that way. Oats started out that way. Uh, I have just never fallen in love with granola. Uh, By the way, I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rottiero, the chef in the hat, and I'll tell you why you should eat granola. (laughs) Okay. It's just something that's just never been on my radar, especially, especially when you just put a big dollop of yogurt on top, and you just got that big sticky yogurt with the sticky granola, and it's just... It just uh, doesn't do it for you. I'd much rather have
1: a plate full of sausage and an English muffin. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I I know about that, too, and I love that, too. I just can't have that every day. I I mean, I wasn't always eating granola by any stretch of imagination. Kathy, my wife, always had oats, rolled oats in the house, plain rolled oats, and she cooks it. It's very easy to cook. I mean, it cooks in 10 minutes. Cooked them for my daughter for Before school breakfast. Yeah, and then you have that as a base. And then from that, it's so easy. You can add dried raisins. You can add dried apricots, all kind of dried fruit. Most importantly, a little bit of almond milk, and then you can add all kind of fresh fruit. You know, you can add diced apple, or you can actually cook your apple with the oats. You can do so many different things. So it's the oats itself is easy to dress up, but more importantly... That's oats. That's not granola. Correct. Most importantly, what I do is I mix... Hot oats and granola on top of the oats, so then I don't have too much of one or the other because I think that's
2: brilliant. The combo.
1: Neither one of the two is really attractive. I mean, eat too much granola is too much sugar. It's too because yeah, you go into a diabetic coma.
2: Yeah, there's a little bit too much
1: sugar to me, and it's also too much of the same exact thing. However, to put granola that's nice and roasted that you've made yourself and put that on top of your oats is adding texture, flavor. And something you don't have in the oats, and you also have no sugar added anywhere because you already have plenty in the granola.
0: So uh, yeah, well, and you somehow or another, I get plenty in oatmeal too. When I am having just oatmeal, and I am you know typically for me, if I were to have oatmeal, I have a pat of butter on top and maybe a little cinnamon sugar, not much, but it makes me hypoglycemic every time. So mm-hmm. then you know you are supposed to add an egg to it, like a fried egg on the side, so that's supposed to calm that down.
1: But right. um, I don't know, just. Why don't you make us some granola right here from your family recipe? So this is a recipe that first we went to L.A. and uh, my mother-in-law was making. L.A.,
0: no wonder why you love granola. You lived in L.A.
1: That's not when I lived in L.A. This is recent. This is in the last couple years. Pam used to manage a vegetarian restaurant. That's why she loves granola. (laughs) You know what? That's on the menu. You eat it. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, my mother-in-law, Arlene, uh, uh, was making this recipe, and we loved it. So she gave it to us, and uh, we've been making it ever since. And it's a very simple recipe. It's basically toasted nuts of um, what do we have? We have first we have raw oats, four cups, cashews, dried cranberries, um, chia seeds. We don't put the ham seed in there. We didn't have any hemp seed, so we didn't put any hemp seed in there. But you can. And we have dried blueberry, almond butter, maple syrup, and coconut oil. So basically, you mix the nuts and the oats together you add the um, uh, you mix the liquid together so the the honey the sorry the maple syrup almond butter and coconut oil and then you toss the whole thing uh-huh. together put it on the sheet pan put it in the oven and let it roast now low and
0: slow right or
1: do well, you go no, pretty you hot no you actually you actually go pretty warm uh-huh. but you have to control it because this last batch we did is <laughs> is an example of how, how far you shouldn't go it's a little oh, bit, really? it's, a, little, it's a bit further further than we want to mainly you know it by the dried fruit, the cranberry and the uh-huh. and the uh, whatever fruit you put in there. Once they become hard as a rock, it's a bit too far. You went too far. A
0: little dangerous on your dentures.
1: <laughs> These are very crunchy. But the actual nuts, it's a really, really good. The oats and the nuts is really good. So in that, you could also add hazelnut, almond. I mean, there's all kinds of nuts you can add, whatever you have in the house. In this one... It's mostly cashews. So when you're
0: baking that, let's say you're baking it at, are you saying 350? Yeah, 350. And uh, so that you don't get to the point where you're at, you're checking the dried fruit, but it should still be soft when you're pulling it out of the oven, It's my understanding. correct. And then when it rests, it starts to crispen up a bit. Correct.
1: It will crisp up. But basically, sugar, as long as it's in the oven, will still stay soft. Mm -hmm. But as soon as it dries out, depends on the stage the sugar has been cooked at, it will solidify, right? So if it was caramel, it would be hard as a brick and, mm. you know, so on and so forth. So um, the way that this is, basically, you're, you're trying to make sure that your, your dried fruits are not completely dried out and become a brick.
2: Why don't you wait to add them and not even put them in during the baking that stage? That could be
1: another technique. You could actually do that. Oh,
2: that look at and you. Up, oh, look see? at you jumping in there. And didn't just start well, I, was, I was recipe. waiting for somebody to Finally, do the hippie in. Finally,
0: the hippie in the group jumps right in. And it was not hump seeds, it was hemp seeds he was talking about.
2: I know. Okay. I
0: was like, <laughs> all right. What? It sounded like you were saying hump seeds, but
1: hemp. it was hemp. Hemp, hemp. hemp seeds, yes. Yeah. Um, I love chia seed. Me too. Problem is, you got to do so, it before you brush your teeth. So and in brush this your teeth <laughs> twice. What
0: else uh, could you add? Like our Dahlia Bakery granola, which I believe the recipe is in uh, our our yeah. uh, Dahlia Bakery cookbook. Well, to me, I think it's, I think it's can... got sesame seeds, it's got chia seeds, right. it's got all sorts of. things I mean, you in can it.
1: do granola. Coconut, the beautiful the thing the about chips. granola to me, it reminds me of a salad. You start with a base, so the granola is the base, mm-hmm. and then. You know, your pantry is your freedom. So you go in there and you have. Par- pepper's Farm Goldfish Crackers in there? <laughs> no, no, not, not, not in my granola. No. That stays outside of that. But. That's for the a- checks, Max. Anything. This is when you check your, your nuts in your cupboard to make sure they're not going bad because many people have this bad habit of keeping their nuts in a hot place and keeping them in the, fr- in the uh, cupboard for three months and uh-huh. think that everything is hunky dory. It is nut. Your nut will go rancid. They're full of, they're definitely alive and they have oil on it that will go bad. Mm-hmm. So check your, this is a time where you get, You get, if you get two spoons of uh, almond, sliced almond, or you have some cashew, or you have some peanuts, or you have whatever you want for, whatever's in your cupboard and you have, this is a perfect time to empty all those bags and make a batch of granola with that. Because you're going to go back to the store and buy a new fresh pack, and you should do this every with nuts, no less than, you know, every couple of months or three months. You should renew your renew your nuts. I mean, uh-huh. you know, it's just, like just buy as much
0: as you need. Buy them in the bulk area, and Correct. if a recipe tells you you needs you need two thirds of a cup, buy
2: two thirds of a cup. Right? Yeah, weigh right. it
0: before you go, and right. you'll know that you need ten ounces of nuts or Correct. six ounces of nuts or whatever. So Pam,
2: I want to do a shout out to Seattle Granola that one of our ex employees started, Oh. and one of his most Delicious flavors has ground coffee in it. What a way to start the day. You have your coffee. You know the smart. That is so smart. Very smart. And it cuts the sweetness. But he yeah. also does a version that doesn't have the brown sugar in it and calls it no BS, which I love. Mm-hmm. But that product, uh, I love the way it clumps. Because you, you, so there's a secret, I guess, to the sugar the amount of sugar addition because you want some but you don't want it so sweet right but right. you do want some of those clusters correct because now some companies are just selling granola clusters <laughs> i don't know how people are using
1: them granola cluster <laughs> yes. i tell you a secret you put everything on your sheet pan and you don't put it just flat individually you just put it in little clump and you put sugar on top put it in the oven and don't touch it Mm. It will become a clump.
2: <laughs> it will stay a clump. Make your clusters on purpose. <laughs> I know. <It's> like
1: <laughs> make your cluster of, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> Somebody's actually selling that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. We have lots more to talk about in our second hour. Chef Stacy Fortner is going to be here from the Dahlia Bakery and workshop. We're going to build flavor without salt. Uh, we're going to talk tart flambe, one of Terry's favorite uh, Alsatian dishes. And, of course, we're going to finish our show with Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs and Sauces. So, stay with us. It's going to be a fun second hour on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM.
1: Happy New Year! All
0: right, we're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society on Cairo Radio. Tom Douglas, uh, chef-owner of a few joints around Seattle, including... Lola Restaurant, right below us here at the Hot Stove, 4th in Virginia, we're at the ho- beautiful Hotel Andra, Seatown Restaurant, which uh, I'm going to be shucking at uh, oysters at this afternoon, uh, and then, of course, um, we've got Carlisle Room, if you're heading to a show at the Paramount Theater. Call and double-check, though. Things are really crazy right now, so yeah. before you make the trip, just make sure that everyone's open. There's lots of COVID protocols going on, going on in restaurants all over the city and in theaters and this and that, so... Um, I would advise calling to make sure everyone's open as they would want to be. Yeah, don't don't... just
1: go to the website. Make sure you call them. Use that phone. (laughs)
0: Anyway, we got another whole hour of the show, and uh, we are going to talk a little bit uh, about uh, trivia, a little bit about citrus desserts, and, of course, uh, we're going to jump right in right now with Tarte Flambe. So, Terry, you had asked a question off the air. Tarte Flambe, we we talked about uh, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah and this Alsatian kind of onion tart, uh, which I fell uh, the first time I fell for it was at the French restaurant on Lower Queen Anne before it became the uptown. Le Le Testovin. Le Testavan had an onion tart, and that's where I first had it. Uh, Tell me about how it's made and our listeners, how it's made, and maybe some of the history of it.
1: So basically it's a, um, and I don't want to say that word because that's going to, Make some alsatian really upset because they don 't like to hear that word, but what's that Italian word for a flat dough baked in a, a very pizza oh pizza, thank you <laughs> oh so no. you can't use that the word i couldn't i couldn 't say it, so you say it oh, yeah. you're the one who said it um, anyway it's basically a thin bread dough crust Is like it a, bread dough well it's a it 's a pizza crust i mean it's Really like a pizza crust. Okay. It's really, really similar to a pizza. The only difference is they don't usually like white border. Like on a pizza, you know, you like mm-hmm. that crust. Mm-hmm. That's not – usually they, it's more rectangle, you know, the most common. And all and they, the way to the edge. And they go all the way to the edge. They yeah. put that cream. So uh, um, uh, tart flambe, Alsatian al- 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 tart flambe is three ingredients. It's onion, bacon, and creme fraiche. That's usually the base of it. So you take that dough – and you roll it, and with a pin, and you roll it thin as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's a, also the other secret, because it's a quick cook, and you also are adding liquid and vegetables on top. So you want to make sure that dough is as thin as possible, so it actually has a chance to bake. Is there a tart flambe pan, like there's a crepe pan? Not that I know of. Okay. No, never but if there was, one. it would be similar to a crepe pan, right? Uh, no, I think it would be more similar to a stone or a... Okay cast iron, like if you had a, you know, those rectangle cast iron, I have a couple of those that are super cool to put on your grill or whatever. Take those and then make it, put it in the oven at 600 or 550, whatever your oven can get to super, super hot. And then take your dough, put it on a a pizza peel, you know, and and, uh, put your dough there and then put uh, spread the creme fraiche on the bottom. Creme fraiche that does, you could add a tiny bit I like to put a little squeeze of lemon in my crème fraîche, just a little squeeze, and um, a little salt and pepper in my crème fraîche. And no thyme or no herb of any sort? Nothing, nothing yet. And then on top of that, you do super thinly sliced onion. And they're raw, which is very uncommon. I'll give you another trick later. but okay. um, So raw, raw sliced onion, and then bacon, that is sliced super thin, julienne. Also idea, raw? Also raw. Sprinkle on top of that, of that dough. So now you have raw dough uh, that's been rolled, uh, rectangle, creme fresh that's been spread on the bottom, mm-hmm. and not very thick. And, um, Onion and bacon. onions and bacon. And that's what goes in the oven. Now, I like to put fresh thyme. This is where it comes in. I like to put fresh thyme. <laughs>
2: what a surprise! <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, because it gives a little extra flavor, I sure, tell you, course. I guarantee you. And if you have sage, I like to cheat and put a little sage. They would never do that in Alsace, probably. And then you put that in the oven, super, super hot, the hottest you can get it, because it's a quick cook. Now, I'm a big fan of, like, make sure your onions are super thin. Mm -hmm. Use a mandolin if you have to, because it's important. I hate raw onion in a place where it's supposed to be cooked. Especially
0: in that quantity. It's an an onion pizza. If it's all raw, it's a lot of onion.
1: Well, it's not – you don't put too much onion. That's Mm -hmm. the whole thing. And you don't put too much bacon, but you make sure that you – you know, have some mm-hmm. on the pizza on every piece. And you put that in the oven, and in 10 minutes, you've got this gorgeous pizza. At the most? Well, somewhere around, it, you know, remember, it's very moist. The dough is very moist, and it's I know, raw. I'm just saying, at 550, 10 minutes is a long time. So here's another trick. Okay. So I was thinking about this because, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I was like, man, I got to have one of those. I got to have myself one of those because I. Did you make it? So hold on. I'm like, wow! Well, I don't feel like going through making the dough and doing that. And guess what? In my freezer, what I had was a pizza shell from, uh, <laughs> and I got at the make market from Mr. Douglas. Oh! <laughs> fireman pizza shell. So I'm like, well, nobody's looking. I'll tell them it's Alsatian dough. <laughs> it's not pizza. So I took that, and I did, um, I didn't have the creme fraiche. Can you believe I didn't have any creme fraiche in my fridge?
2: No, that's so a horror.
1: I, so I used uh, sour cream, lemon. And a little bit of creme, of uh, heavy whipping cream. Put that on the bottom of my pie. And I put, I, what I did is I caramelized the onion on the side and I rendered the bacon on the side. And I, so you I, didn't make a far flambe at there, all, see, is what you're saying. Yeah. Hold on. And I, I put, pizza and, I put, pizza. And, I put <laughs> and I put all this on my, on, my, uh, on my dough and then I put it in the oven. And because the dough was already cooked, so I couldn't count on the 10 minutes cooking. So I put it in the oven at about 475, and I just... How did it come out? Five minutes later, I had the most gorgeous pizza, the way I like it, with some burn ages. And mm-hmm. oh, it was... Anyway, I would advise anybody who doesn't want to go through all the trouble of making the dough to stop at the Metropolitan Market. Do you still do that, Tom? I do still do that. They sell about 1,000 pizza skins a week. Yeah, so... Go buy those Alization top bottoms that are at PCC. <laughs> They're on the Tom Douglas. He called them pizza, but
2: <laughs> I want to make a the great, dough. it's a great cheat. I mean, the recipe it- says that a lot of the recipes said to combine rye flour, yes, which I think uh, from the German traditions would add such a tasty element to Correct. the dough, and then you can't forget the nutmeg. Right, not making the cream. Actually, the I forgot. Cream. You're right. I forgot that. In his signature. It yeah, can't be,
0: Pam, because he said there were only three ingredients. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and No we're... cheese, huh? Not, no cheese at all. No,
1: but you can definitely. Uh, <clears throat> some fromage you know, blanc. If nobody's, looking, if nobody's <laughs> looking, you could definitely drop some emmental in there, grated. Uh-huh. Yes. That would bring a nice zing to the. Uh-huh. Yeah, baby. Then all of a sudden you have
0: onion soup pizza.
1: Next (laughs) next thing you know, you're making a pizza that's uh, delicious. All right, when we come back, speaking
0: of delicious, we're going to build flavor without the use of salt, or at least not extra salt. Correct. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We are here at the beautiful Hot Stove Society Kitchen. In the hotel Andra, downtown Seattle, Fourth and Virginia, and Pam, uh, we had to eliminate uh, our guest this week and next. Or, no, or, no, we're they're back. back. To live studio audience. We're back to week. live yeah. because of the holidays. Things got all kind of screwed up. So, uh, so next week we hope to see some of you back here in studio. If not, you can watch us on Facebook. And uh, one of our Facebook listeners just asked us a question or watchers uh, about uh, our favorite New Year's beverage.
1: Well, there is no New Year's without the bubbles, and I have a 1986 Enotech Dom Perignon that uh, a dear friend gave me for my birthday a few months ago, and that baby's popping up for the New Year's, because I have a lot of hope in 2022. Yeah. I am uh, putting all my dice on that number, because (laughs) uh, it definitely could not be any worse than 2021. So. Start with bubble, and then a little poo-poo to go with that. I think I'm going to go see a little caviar on the way out here. Today. Oh, I thought
0: you were going to say you were going to do pigs in a blanket.
1: No, no. Hold on. I'm the first. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's funny, but that's not on my pigs agenda. Cru- sh- pigs, pigs on crude. <laughs> no, but I have some shrimp. I have a couple. Of, I pull up about 10 shrimps out of the freezer because I want to do a little appetizer, little caviar, little shrimp, champagne. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do next with all that. But I'm going to do a little appetizer. Probably cold. I'm probably going to poach my um, my shrimp and have them cold with caviar. They but just anyway. wanted to
0: know what you were drinking, chef. Just yeah, wanted to know well, what you were drinking.
1: You know, drinking never comes alone in my house. It's never uh, never just drinking. It's uh, yeah, drinking yeah, and food. I,
0: I'm understanding that now. <laughs> for me, uh, for me, it's um, it's really just a big glass of Nebbiolo, just a big glass of, of my favorite wine. And by that time of night, uh, I'm usually asleep anyway. So... <laughs> But, yeah, finish out the new year correctly and then start the other one uh, correctly. Even better. Yeah, even better. Yeah. We talk often here at Hot Stove about how to add flavor and brightness and pizzazz to food without adding more salt. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't use salt at all. A lot of people are on salt-free or salt-restricted diets. Uh, But at the same time, I hate at the end of a big meal... When uh, I go home and an hour later, I'm like, you know, you're trying to go to sleep and you've got salt mouth, you right. know, because you're just thirsty, 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 and then you drink a lot of water and then you pee all night or whatever it is, you know, that you have to, it's just, it's like uncomfortable. So Correct. to me, one of the things that I like to do in my cooking, and and I I got this because salt builds on your palate. When you're a chef in a restaurant and you're cooking all night and you're tasting Let's just say you, you on your menu is veal saltimbocca, right? Which right. is veal with marsala glaze and sage and uh, and you're tasting it for the 30th time that you made it, along with every other thing that you've made. And you you everything you never see a chef reach for anything but salt. Right? He keeps adding more salt and more salt so that it bursts through the layers that are already on his palate. It's fatigue. It's fatigue. Yeah. And so uh, I see that all the time with chefs and I'm, I always try to think of Ways that I can add. So for me, my top two things that I use are citrus zest mm-hmm. and cayenne pepper. And a lot of people say, well, God, cayenne is too spicy for me. Well, don't use too much. No, just right? use a tiny you're bit. You're using a speck of it. And what it does is it brightens food the Correct. same way that salt does. But it doesn't make it hot if you're yeah. just using a little bit of it. Which so you is- can use cayenne, Aleppo, espalette. There's all kinds of good pepper yeah. powders out there. To kind of brighten your food without adding more salt,
1: which is why I love harissa and Dijon mustard. Also, very good ingredients to finish sauce or anything that you have, you know, on your dish, just before you, you know, you taste it. And by the way, mustard has salt in it, so you don't need to.
0: Got to be careful there, yeah. You
1: don't have to add any salt to a mustard sauce. In most cases, if you use enough mustard, you won't need any salt. So, you know, Dijon mustard and harissa is a, a paste stew of a you know chili paste stew. So. You don't need to add anything either. It's got all the ingredients in there. It's got lots of flavor and a beautiful touch of heat. That's to me. That's perfect to to romance. And like you just said, citrus absolutely a savior in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Lemon or lime is always around. And but, but um, mainly
0: the zest, I think.
1: Well, zest depends on what you're doing. If you're if you're making a, a zest, yes. If you're doing a, a salad or whatever, it's a great perky. But if I'm finishing a sauce, just a tiny dash of a couple drop of lemon juice. Or vinegar. Or vinegar yeah. or any acids, for that matter, that can work. It's super delicious. And let's not forget our famous chili crisp.
0: Yeah. So let's go back to that for just a minute and zest. Because I think uh, it's confused sometimes how to use it and how, how maybe to prepare it. Right. So when a dish calls for lemon zest, we I automatically or I notice people automatically Think to that fine microplane grater, mm. or that tool that takes off the five little skinny strips, the uh, right? And and that's fine. So to me, there's three textures of zest that right. I want to play with. One is the really fine one that maybe I'll put Granted. into a salad. It's on the microplane, it's on the smallest blade, and it disappears into a salad. But you taste it in its the salad's brightness, right? Correct. I don't want to get a raw piece of zest and have it stuck in my mouth, chewing no. on it, right? Then there's the one that comes off with a uh, citrus grater that uh, you see in bars all the time. There's the big one that uh, you use for like a twist on a martini, or there is the fine side that has five little holes, and you could use that in, say, crab cakes. Correct. Something that's going to be cooked, but not overly so. And then, to me, there's the zest where you take off with a peeler, and you can can use that in a martini also where you twist it over the glass and do the rim with it. But as long as it doesn't have a bunch of pith on it, the white part, and you mm-hmm. can trim that off. I like to use that simply shredded with a knife, so that it has texture still. So when I'm making chicken piccata, oh yeah, where I really Classic. I'm going to cook the lemon, and I really want it to show up in the bite of the food. Right. That bigger chunk of zest to me is dramatic in the, what it brings to the palate. Right. Uh, and it's so you've got three different kinds of zest, all from a lemon. But three different purposes right. for that zest,
1: and you can take that lemon and of course juice it for whatever you want, yeah. or you can take the whole pulp and use that into a sauce you know chop uh, um, it into a sauce, jump it you know blend yeah. it into a sauce mm-hmm. and that makes delicious I mean no waste whatsoever on that lemon, so before you use a lemon for juice, you know you often see people used to try me crazy, they forget before. take the lemon, cut them in half, juice it. And then throw everything away. And I'm yeah. like, really? Yeah. We know how many things we could have done before you get to that point of juicing your juice. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you could have used that skin and put it in sugar. Just put it in sugar. You get lemon sugar. You know, it's like simple as that. Next time you're making a cookie, you sprinkle that sugar on top. Boom, you've got a lemon sugar flavor. Mm-hmm.
0: And, it, of course, there's always marmalade. A mixed yeah, ze- a of mixed uh, marmalade is really fun. Grapefruit, lime, lemon. Uh, blood orange, you know, you can do all sorts right. of interesting marmalades and
1: oil. You can just take the skin of lemon, uh, just take the skin off before you juice. So, like this, you're not wasting anything. Take those skins and put them in olive oil on your counter and let the thing steep for a few days. You'll have a flavored olive oil. You know. So the have...
0: point of the matter is, the next time you're thinking about, oh, this needs more salt, right? Try a few alternatives. Either a nice little bright chili powder. Uh, a little dash of Tabasco, or even I love Chipotle Tabasco right, because right. it gives a smokiness at the same time, or a, a nice fresh zest of uh, lime, lemon, or or um, grapefruit. Right. And try it in places where you might not think about it. Right. Like, for example, one of the, of my favorite lime zest preparations was always at Wild Ginger. They were serving their, their uh, sorbet. I want to say it was like coconut sorbet, and they would do lime... Fresh little lime zest right on top. And it was fabulous. It was just a, oh, I never really thought about that, right? It's like having a fresh peach and then grinding a little bit of pepper on it. Right. Black pepper. uh, Delicious combination. So instead of reaching for the salt, try to reach for another brightener when you're cooking.
2: Vinegar. I like the vinegar. Vinegar is always good. Apple cider vinegar.
0: Okay, Stacy Fortner is going to join us. It's time for citrusy wintertime desserts. Right here on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We're here. Uh, Facebook Live is with us, and we're here, and Pam and Sean, and we're joined by Stacy Fortner. She is one of the chefs out at the Dahlia Workshop out at the Ballard Warehouse Kitchen, uh, where our... Uh, one of our pastry kitchens is right now, and she's joining us by phone, hopefully from there or from her Magnolia home. Hi, Stacy. <laughs> Hi, Stacy. Hi,
3: Jeff. How are you?
0: Good. Awesome. We hear that you are going to be staying for trivia after this, and so we've been licking our chops about how much we're going to stomp you today. Uh, because well,
3: I'll never miss an opportunity to humiliate you, Tom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Do you know Annie by any chance? <laughs> Stacy,
0: it's the uh, middle of winter, and this is the time where I think we all, as chefs, feel like we can jump out of the seasonality program uh, that we try to do as far as being local and jump into some citrus foods. It's, it's like it's okay. Right. It's okay to jump into citrusy desserts right now. Uh, and so you have a bunch that you're doing, and tell us about where to get started and And what you're thinking about for this season.
3: You know, January is exciting because, like you said, it's like after all of the spices and the winter desserts, we can finally, you know, brighten things up and jump into citrus season. And so that's when a lot of the really interesting citruses are, uh, you know, coming, like we've got uh, bergamot, Meyer lemon, Satsuma tangerine. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about some of the more fun and, you know, unique citruses that you can use. Okay. We cool. are also going to be doing a class in January to turn some of the citrus and some of my favorite desserts. So,
0: when, uh, Pam, when is her class in January? January 27th. Ooh. All right. So, uh, Stacy, we're just going to let you run with this and tell us about uh, how you're using blood oranges, bergamot, all the things you just mentioned.
3: Well, I thought I'd just talk about some of my favorite desserts first. So, off the top, um, I really love a lemon-shaped pie, which if you've never heard um, a shaker pie it's basically just using utilizing all of the lemon and how you do this is with Meyer lemons because we have a little bit more sweetness than uh, just your standard tart lemon so you can actually use not only the juice but also all of the zest and all of the pith use the entire lemon that way and that's kind of what makes it shaker. you are not uh, wasting any part of the fruit and so what you do on that one is Uh, You just take the seeds out, slice it really thin, and then we'll let it sit in sugar. And then uh, after a day, it pulls all the liquid out. It's kind of juicy. And then we add eggs and a little bit of flour to it. And then we bake it up almost like a lemon bar, It's kind of like a lemon bar pie. So that's one of my favorites. I actually just made some yesterday.
0: And the shaker part of that, is that the religious sect that did that pie? Or what does that shaker mean?
3: No, it's just really. I like it because it's just really more of the idea of utilizing everything. You know, not not throwing anything away and making making use of the whole lemon.
0: Because uh-huh. mm-hmm. at the time when that I'm, pie was developed, lemons were very dear.
3: Uh, that would probably be around like you know you're a little bit older than me, Tom. So you might want to talk more about that.
0: <laughs> no, just continue,
3: please. <laughs> I like
1: that a little bit. Yeah, a little bit older, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but um. Another dessert that I really like to make is the lemon pudding cake. Thierry, are you familiar with
1: that? Yeah, I'm very familiar with that, and I also think then uh, another fruit that we haven't mentioned that's in season, not a citrus, but persimmons, works well with that kind of dish. So, yeah, just it's a, it's a citrus segment, chef. I know, I know. I'm just saying, and it goes in there too. Anyway, yes, love a good lemon pudding.
3: Yeah, so lemon pudding I like because you know it's kind, of, you know, for me lemon curd. It's it's delicious, of course, but um, I like lemon pudding because you kind of get that flavor of the lemon curd that's a little bit more interesting and unique, and so you'll make a cake base with uh, lemon juice and lemon zest in there, and then you whip up your egg whites till so they're nice and fluffy, and then you kind of fold that into the batter, and then as it bakes in the oven, the cake part actually separates from the lemon part, makes a curd on the bottom, and then when you invert the cake, you have two layers of like a Almost like a lemon meringue
1: cake, if you will. Hmm, That's so interesting. And and here's a great thing that goes well on top of that. That's that French meringue. You put that on top of that, that's so delicious.
3: Or a little Earl Grey cream with that.
1: That's my favorite. You know, uh, the other
0: night I had a cheesecake, a lemon cheesecake that was seasoned with chai. And I thought, wow, that citrus and chai was a fabulous combination.
3: That does sound good. And, you know, also, now's a great time to stock up on your orange marmalade and have it, you know, for uh, for later.
0: I always find uh, for desserts that with the marmalades, I end up with all sorts of marmalades because I love them, so I buy them when I see them, and then I can never eat them all. But they do make good desserts if you want to have a quick, uh, like, open-faced tart or something like that with the uh, – you say you spread the, the pie dough or paprize, or even uh, you could even use uh, – uh, puff, meat. you know, yeah. like a frozen Sweet puff tea. and just spread the marmalade on top and maybe garnish with uh, a raspberry or two, something that's uh, cheap and out of the season. <laughs> a good you puff. know,
3: another dessert or another citrus I wanted to talk about uh, is the Buddha hand. That <laughs> one is uh, one of my favorite because it's the most unique. Um, it's, it's the ancient citrus, which um, I don't know if you know, but uh, citrus originated in the Himalayas, which I was surprised to learn. But um, the Buddha hand is, uh, you can find it down at the Asian markets, and it's definitely in season right now. Kind of looks like a whole bunch of uh, lemon fingers coming at you. They also call it, I think they call it finger lemon.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so, or finger limes. And so do you use the whole thing, skin and everything on that?
3: So on that one, there's actually no juice inside. Uh, what I like to do with the Buddha hand or a citron, uh, any of those citruses that don't really have juice inside, they're more for the the pest and the zest to kind of have that bitterness. Uh, I like to sometimes, like, I'll blanch them in water, like maybe uh, triple blanch them in some water to take a little bit of the bitterness out. And then I candy it in a simple syrup. I just cook it so it gets nice and translucent. And I try to shave it where you can really see how the citrus grows. You can kind of see all the little tendrils on it. And I'll candy the Buddha hand and then usually use that for a garnish with maybe, like, the lemon pudding cake or something
1: like that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not quite the same thing as finger lime. lime finger lime is a little bit different of a, uh-huh. of a fruit, but it's. Have you had Have you had uh, finger lime, Stacy?
3: Yeah, so finger limes are actually like they're like little tiny oval limes, and they have lime uh, like fechia, like the little juice pockets inside. They're very expensive, so. Uh, i don't use those <laughs> uh-huh.
0: thank you i'll thank you for that <laughs> you should are you those right. the lime so you can actually kind of pick out the cell the little cells of the lime
3: that's right tom
0: yeah super interesting and what my favorite you know, winter, another, winter citrus is blood orange do you have any ideas for us on blood orange
3: you know the blood orange is a little trickier but what i like to do with it besides obviously just you know having it fresh is um what I'll do is use the blood oranges and then I reduce it. So just kind of put it in a little uh, pan to simmer slowly. Not too hard because you don't want it to caramelize, but just reduce it down so you get it really concentrated. And then I like to make mousse with that. So I'll use the blood orange for either like a frozen mousse or like, a you know, kind of do like a pot of balm style. So uh-huh. I use, uh, but you do kind of have to reduce the blood orange to get a really good concentrated flavor on that one.
0: My favorite thing to do with them is I take my largest saute pan and I slice the oranges about an eighth of an inch thick, Put a, uh, just lay them out in the saute pan covered with some sort of sugar. You can use uh, palm sugar, you can use white sugar, brown sugar, whatever it is. And I just melt the sugar with, say, a little orange juice or a little whatever you happen to have for booze, brandy, whatever. Melt the sugar and the oranges on the bottom of the pan Then put a layer of pot brisé over top like you would do a tart to tan. Right. And then pop it in Mm -hmm. the oven cook it. And then Mm -hmm. when you turn it out, you have this beautiful rings of blood orange as your tart top. Yeah. And caramelized and delicious. And it's just a great vehicle for whipped cream. Of course.
3: (laughs) Tom, do you use the blood orange as savory-wise?
0: Yeah, I just made a duck a l'orange in my class uh, three weeks ago, my duck class. And I just used uh, the, the... I, I peeled all the zest off and then I juiced them all and reduced it down with duck stock and then added the zest in the last five minutes of my sauce so that I kept some of the fragrance of the blood orange and had a little bit of texture and that's what I used for my duck sauce. The important part being on the bottom, right? I don't I had the beautiful crispy skin duck. Right. So you don't put the sauce on top of the skin, you put no, the sauce of on the bottom and the duck on top of the sauce. Yes,
1: so. chef. We oui, chef. We oui, chef. No, I mean, it's a good point. It's like, you know, instead of putting the sauce on top and soften down that skin, which right. you work so hard to get to get to, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely.
3: You know, we also uh, we have one one other dessert I wanted to mention because uh, I think we might try to make it in the classes. Uh, whenever satsumas come in season, I like to boil the whole orange for like, I think it's like an hour or two. You just boil them in water. You poke holes in them, boil it in the water, pull them out, so everything's really soft, but it's still, so, you know, it has its shape. And then blend it in the mixer or not the, not the blender, but like the food processor. Mm-hmm. And then we use that orange base to make a gluten-free cake out of. So we'll mix it with like an almond flour. And, um, I've made that. I've made
1: that before. See, it's delicious. Yeah.
3: I love that. That's one of my favorite cakes. It's almost like a, like an orange pudding cake. It tastes so moist.
0: Yeah. yeah. So delicious. Well, Stacy, thank you for all the ideas on how to use winter citrus. And um, now uh, I'm going to give you a little break during our time out here before the next segment to put on some armor uh, because you're going to need it uh, when Terry and I take you down uh, in the next segment in our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge brought to you by Rub With Love, Spice Rubs, and Sauces. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. Rub with Love Spice Rubs are small batch made, versatile, uh, and we make sauces and mustards also that bring extra layers of flavor to just about any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store and specialty shops and even colder places than Seattle like Sonnenberg's in Spokane, Washington, where it's 14 degrees or Pizzazz in Great Falls, Montana. At a chilly 11 degrees. You can also find them online at TomDouglas.com or Amazon or even in your local grocery stores.
1: And that's how life works. You always look
0: where the sun doesn't shine as much. Pam, tell us how to play the game and who's the winner and what they're going to win.
2: Barbara Cochran's the lucky winner today that is going to receive a jar of mushroom rub, veggie rub, and peri-peri. What a delicious combo. That's an unbeatable combo. Our three contestants are each going to get Five questions that are themed today to mushroom, citric, and salt. And the person with the least amount correct, we call the loser, and the loser pays for the shipping to Barbara. Wow. Are we I ready? Him Tom. Could be expensive today because <laughs> Barbara's not in our, in our audience. <laughs> uh, we're going to start with Terry. All right. on a. And you know, Who Chef
0: st- Stacy is still on the line, Terry. She's our
1: foe,
2: right? And, and she's really good. <laughs> she's really she's good. she's our
0: adversary.
1: She loves to play that don't game. Don't cut her so. any slack. Uh, I, I wish no, she was no, with don't
3: us. Take it easy on me. I like to win fair and square. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Terry. Go ahead. Is this true or false? Mushrooms are more closely related to humans than to plants. True. It is, in fact, true. The fascinating mycelium networks that hold our earth together beneath our feet and transfer nutrients and chemical messages between plants. They're described as the earth's natural internet. And mycelium are considered to be intelligent and it knows we're here. Woo! Number two. Are portobello mushrooms, button mushrooms, and white mushrooms all the same mushroom? Yes, they're all the same. Correct, at different levels of maturity. Correct. Uh, lemons, number three, lemons are reported to have many beauty benefits except one of these. Which one doesn't belong? Removing acne and blackheads, he- whitening teeth, strengthening fingernails, reducing blood pressure, and even soothing chapped lips. Which one does not belong?
1: <laughs> Definitely not soothing chapped lips. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 that would be that, like if you have chaplins. If you put lemon on it, you'll know it.
2: It is recommended. The one no that way. does not belong is reducing blood pressure.
1: Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. Oh my god!
2: Uh, the <laughs> number four, the Meyer lemon, which is characterized by a yellow, uh, the school bus yellow color, uh, and a sweeter, less tart flavor, originated in China. And is believed to be the product of crossing which two citrus to get to the Meyer lemon?
1: Two different kinds of citrus, so definitely a lemon.
2: Yes, that is one of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the other one would be something a little bit sweeter. So I'm gonna go with usually a little smaller. Yeah, yeah, w- guava. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. That's it? nope. It's not a citrus, so That's I don't true. know. Um, smaller lime.
2: Mandarin oranges. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would make sense. Uh-huh. To make them Meyer. That
1: w- Did you know that, Stacy? No, that's a hard one.
2: And your final feel like I've learned one? something. All Chef, right. is sea salt healthier than table salt?
1: Well, it depends if the table salt is iodized iodine or not, but I would say in most cases the sea salt is healthier than the table salt.
2: My salt reference said sea salt may sound healthier but most sea salts contain roughly the same proportion of sodium, about forty percent, as table salt. So mm. I think they were looking at it from the sodium level. Sodium, okay. sodium level. All right. So, Fair enough. Two out of five. What well, good, good, good job, Stacy. You're gonna have to go now. I love this one for you, Stacy. In the Middle Ages, people thought mushrooms grew at night on the soil where witches had done what? Had a seance. Close. Yes. Had a Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> you get it. You're a winner. Um, number two. What? 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 She's a winner? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what win, Sabbath. I like that. Uh, number two. Paint. What are magic mushrooms?
3: Oh, I'm very familiar with that, Pam. I've seen the movie Shrooms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be the mushrooms that make you highly hallucinate.
2: Exactly. They have psychedelic properties... And they're used as recreational drugs.
0: Which do grow here in Washington.
2: She said they grow
0: here in Washington.
2: Yes, they do. Because she goes out to pick Some them of all my the friend- time. <laughs> Some of my friends have told me. <laughs> That's uh, my
3: side business.
2: <laughs> number three, the Dutch believe eating what on New Year's Day will bring good luck?
3: Uh, Pam, that would be not, not the group, but uh, the food, black-eyed peas?
2: No, Donuts. Donuts are what they believe. Whoa, I would have never love. guessed that. From the Dutch? Number four. Historically, rations of oranges were given to British soldiers on long ocean voyages to prevent what disease? Uh, that would be scurvy. Yes. True or false, black olives sold in cans are actually green olives that are treated with chemicals such as iron salt to oxidize it. ...and turn it black to make them look more attractive. Is this true or false? I'm going to guess false. It's true. It's true. Sadly enough. Sadly enough. (sighs) How might have a chance. Three out of
1: five. She beat me. ahead of you. (laughs) All
2: right, Mr. Douglas, let's see what's happening with you today. Do lemons turn from green to yellow based on temperature or ripeness? Temperature. Yes, absolutely correct. So a few green patches on a lemon does not mean they aren't deliciously ripe. Many citrus fruits grown in tropical environments stay green. Number two, in 2010, Taco Bell secretly reduced the sodium content of its food by 23%. Holy smokes. At 150 of its restaurants in the Dallas area. Without telling anyone, they replaced the salt with other spices and ingredients. In two months, how many complaints did they get? Zero. Correct! Yay! Number three, the Chinese call the rishi mushroom the mushroom of immortality, and they use it in infusions and liqueurs. What does the rishi mushroom contain that helps achieve longev- longevity? Preservative.
0: Resin of some sort.
2: High levels of antioxidants. That's what I just said.
1: <laughs> Is that what you just said? Well, well, I'm no, just saying.
2: wrong. Number four. What food was given as gifts on New Year's Day in ancient Persia? Pomegranates. <laughs> Eggs. Eggs. Oh, I would have never given that. <laughs> Dates. Oh, well, at, least, at least Eggs. I'm not going to lose the Tom. No. In Polk County, Wisconsin, what have they found to be more effective than rock salt to de-ice the roads?
0: Uh, way from making cheese.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Are you guys. Are you for real? Uh, yes. Cheese brine. Oh, wow. They use the cheese brine. To <laughs> ice I totally lost. <laughs> All right, Sometimes Sometimes I'm paying for shipping. You're paying for you're
1: shipping. You're paying for to shipping. Stacy,
0: congratulations, congratulations on crushing Chef Terry and myself. Well, you didn't crush me, but, but <laughs> Pam also gave you one. But that's okay. <laughs> we're not we're not bitter, are we, Chef? No, Pudgy too. Pudgy two. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show, or buy tickets to attend on the Hot Stove Society website. We will make you breakfast. You're listening to us on Cairo. The show is produced by Pam Hinckley. Sean McFadden and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre and remember, if you miss any episode of our show, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app to Hot Stove Society Show. Thanks for listening.
2: Happy New Year. Happy
0: New Year. And Bonne Uzzani.
2: Thanks, Stacy. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Stacy. Thank you.